Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. The outline of this message, speaker, message title, and series can be found in the show notes or the details page. Be sure to check us out on Facebook or on our church website at Bethlehem505.com. And now, here is the message. you get your sermon notes page uh, out and open your Bibles to Psalm 145. Memories, Psalm 145, verse 4. Now, if you're like me, especially if you're over 60, you don't remember things as well as you once did. So I appreciate the story I read one time about three elderly sisters who were all living together in the same house. One was 92, one was 94, one was 96. One night, the 96-year-old ran to bathwater, put her foot into the bathwater, and paused and yelled out to her sisters, was I getting in the tub or out of the tub? The 94-year-old yelled back to her, says, I don't know, I'll come up and see. So she started up the steps got halfway up the stairs and says, was I going up the stairs or coming down the stairs? Well, the 92-year-old is sitting down in the kitchen uh, drinking some tea, and she hears her sister, and she just shakes her head. You know, she's the young one, of course. She goes, I sure hope I don't ever get that forgetful, knock on wood. And then she yells, I'll come up there and help both of you as soon as I see who's at the door. Forgetting can be embarrassing. Two couples were, were talking and just chatting, and the two husbands started talking. One of them was uh, describing a restaurant that he and his wife had eaten at a few nights before, and he said it was an amazing, amazing place. And the guy says, well, what was it called? And he goes, I can't really remember. John told me the food was wonderful, and you need to go there, but I can't, I can't think of the name of the restaurant right now. And, uh, and the guy kept kind of trying to prompt him, and finally... Um, he, he, he asked the, the second guy, he says, uh, what's the name of that flower with like a long stem and it's got thorns on it? And the guy goes, a rose? And he goes, yeah. He goes, hey, Rose, what was the name of that restaurant we ate at the other night? <laughs> you know, forgetting can be embarrassing and forgetting can get us in trouble. When we forget, we can fail in our responsibility. When we fail, we can forget our purpose. When we forget, we can lose our focus. But forgetting the past is also dangerous. Those who forget the past, as you've heard often before, are doomed to repeat it. And those who forget the past tend to lose some inspiration. And those who forget the past miss out on a lot of joy from past memories. Those who forget the past can lose perspective. And those that forget the past, in a sense, don't really know who they are. And those who forget the past often (laughs) mess things up in the present. Psalm 145, verse 4, simply says, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. 
See, it's important to remember. And it's important to share memories with other people and with generation after generation. So this morning, let's commit ourselves to remembering and to making memories and to sharing memories because we're going to see how important that is. First of all, I want us to notice that we need to treasure memories. And if you'll flip back to um, Deuteronomy chapter 16. And here I got my problem up here again when I lay my Bible too far over to the side and the front's falling out, all the pages are going to go. Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy 16 describes the three primary feasts of the Jews. And in verses 9 through 15, it talks about this idea of remembering, but the, the two main themes all the way through here are rejoicing and remembering. It says, count off, this is two of the feasts, 9 to 15, count off seven weeks from the time you begin to pick the sickle, put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, the Levites in your town, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered to produce uh, the, the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your feast, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, and, and the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widow who, widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will, will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. Rejoice and remember. Rejoice and remember. Remember and rejoice. You see, joyful memories tend to make us smile. Joyful memories keep us going. And I just realized I skipped over what point A was. Didn't I? <laughs> Joyful memories. I mean, you notice how certain songs often trigger nice memories because they remind us of special times or of key events in our life that we were doing when we first heard that song. Family picture albums are great for this for prompting memories and making us smile about this thing that happened with uh, our kids or grandkids or, or close friends. Scrapbooks, for those of you who still remember those, not too many do them as much anymore, they prompt memories of travels and landmark events in our lives. Some of you may, in more recent years, uh, made those shutterfly books where you take books from a, or pictures from a certain trip or event or uh, a family gathering or something and put that into a book. Some of you may this month be attending an alumni banquet or a class reunion, and those times are valuable for reflecting on joyous memories, uh, or maybe it's just talking with old friends about joyous memories. See, joyful memories have a positive role to play in our lives. But also, inspirational memories. Deuteronomy 16, again, is the, the three primary Jewish feasts. And in verse 12, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully their decrees. Now, initially, you would read that and say, well, Why is that a, a good inspirational memory? 
But that memory meant they used to be slaves. They once had been slaves, but the Almighty God had come and freed them from their slavery. See, an inspirational memory should inspire us to live a certain way. The past two Sunday evenings in the adult class, I've uh, led us in talking about milestone moments and times in our lives, and also the idea of graduations, uh, not sometimes literal graduations, but also those key turning points in life. And of course, the last couple of weeks uh, in writing my mother's obituary and in going through pictures and mementos, um, it, it's, it reminded me of the importance of acknowledging and remembering those milestone moments in life. And it's made me think back on the milestone moments in my own life. 1968 in July, uh, my baptism into Christ. Uh, my high school graduation, 1975. My college graduation, 1979. A few months later, the same year, coming out here and beginning my ministry at Bethlehem. My ordination to the ministry, 1980. Um, my wedding in... Rose, what year was that? <laughs> 1987, March 27th, okay. Uh, the birth of our children, uh, different milestones we've had at Bethlehem uh, through the years. You see, it's good to reflect back occasionally for inspiration. Um, 2018 in July, I made it a point on the 50th anniversary of my baptism into Christ to go back to my home church, to the old chapel at the Hillsborough Church of Christ, go in the very room where I was baptized into Christ, where I preached my first sermon, where I was ordained to the ministry. And uh, literally go, and I, I knelt down on the floor in the very spot where I had confessed my faith uh, to Jesus and recommitted myself 50 years later. See, it's important to remember those milestone moments and let them inspire us uh, for the future. Romans 15.4 says this, it says, for everything that was written in the past, and it's talking about scripture, was written to teach us so that through the endurance, in, the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. In other words, God says, I have recorded some things in scripture to give you encouragement, to inspire you, to keep you going, and to give you hope. Those special memories from our lives should encourage us and they should motivate us, and they should spur us on. So we need to treasure memories. But secondly, on your outline, we need to pass on memories. And again, that's the point of the Psalm 145 passage. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. You see, memories tend to prov help provide perspective. They help provide perspective. Memories give us something to compare things to, and comparison gives perspective. <laughs> One of the funnier lists I, I read a while back um, compared hot and cold climates and how people react to and how they define hot and cold. And it's obviously written by somebody from Wisconsin who was proud that they can endure any amount of cold. Here it goes, 60 degrees. Floridians turn on the heat, Wisconsinites plant gardens. 50 degrees, Californians shiver uncontrollably, people are sunbathing in Green Bay. 40 degrees, import cars won't start, Wisconsinites drive with the sunroof open. 20 degrees, people in New Mexico don long johns, parkas and wool hats and mittens, Wisconsinites throw on a flannel shirt. 
15 degrees, New York landlords finally turn on the heat. <laughs> People in Wisconsin have one last cookout before it gets cold. Zero degrees, people in Miami all die. Wisconsinites close the windows. It gets worse. Ten below zero, Californians fly away to Mexico. Wisconsinites dig their winter coats out of storage. 25 below zero, Hollywood disintegrates. Yay. Girl Scouts in Wisconsin are still selling cookies door to door. 40 below zero, Washington, D.C. finally runs out of hot air. People in Wisconsin finally let their dogs sleep indoors. A hundred below zero, Santa Claus abandons the North Pole. Wisconsinites get upset because the minivan won't start. 450 degrees below zero, all atomic motion stops. Absolute zero on the Kelvin scale. People in Wisconsin can be heard to say, cold enough for you? And finally, 500 degrees below zero, hell freezes over and Wisconsinite public schools open two hours late. <laughs> You see, it's all in your perspective. Geography can affect the definitions for hot and cold. <laughs> but in the same way, historical memories can give perspective on things like hardship. Have you noticed, and especially if you're 50, 60, 70, 80 years old or more, um, when we use the word hardship, <laughs> um, hardship meant something very different 50 or 80 years ago. Again, going through... Um, my mom's stuff over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, she was one of those from that generation, and she was extreme in that generation even, that saved and reused virtually everything. I mean, literally, I don't know how many times, you know, she had a plastic Ziploc bag. I mean, she would use it and wash it and use it again and wash it and dry it and hang it and use it again. And, and uh, she would use aluminum foil one time, two times, three times, four times, wash it, you know, scrape it off, use it again. <laughs> uh, disposable cups. We actually, after they moved out of the condominium, we, uh, we found what I would consider disposable cups that I would use once that she'd probably washed 50 times and they were still in her, her uh, 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 cabinets uh, and, and her love for coupons and those things. You see, she was from a time when hardship meant you didn't have many things, you had to reuse things. Uh, and it was because of her memories of growing up with not many possessions. You know, sometimes uh, those experiences from people as they tell them through the years about their hardships sometimes tend to get exaggerated. It's like the proverbial, the generation above mine that used to tell kids, you know, when I was your age, I had to walk to school, rain or snow or whatever. And then, if you know, sometimes some people, those stories grow through the years and then eventually it's, when I was your age, I walked 17 miles to school barefoot in the snow with a grizzly bear following me, you know. <laughs> But in reality, the actual unembellished stories of harder times should help us see things in perspective. So it's valuable for us to read about harder times or remember things from the past because it helps us put our problems presently in perspective. But memories also help us do something else. They help us know our family heritage better. Again, <laughs> the past couple of weeks, digging through pictures and possessions and things, uh, I have been thankful several times for how many things my mom wrote down and identified. Um, matter of fact, I found a, and she didn't write this, someone before her, but ran across a picture um, just 
a week or two ago uh, of a guy in a uniform. Okay, that would have meant nothing if that's all it was, but fortunately someone in the family back identified this man as Humphrey Ferris. Uh, born 1836, uh, died in 1869, lived 33 years. Um, that's him in his Civil War uniform. His daughter was Mary Elizabeth Ferris, my great-grandmother. Um, so this is my great-grandfather in his Civil War uniform. I would know none of that um, had not somebody written that stuff down on the back uh, for future reference. Um, but there's also <laughs> things I've run across that had no information on them, and now there is literally nobody alive to identify those things. See, unfortunately, despite all of our technology, we sometimes get so busy living life that we don't preserve our stories and our family heritage like we should. And I'm saying this to people in your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s too, because now is when you need to be doing this kind of stuff. Records of things and identifying things. In ancient Israel, they did that routinely through storytelling from one generation to the other. And things were passed on literally for generations that way. It's not that common anymore. But we can do that. We can perpetuate the priorities and, and the values in our families if we will do it. And maybe it means, in your case, keeping a journal where you record things so that your great-grandkids can read them someday and understand your life and what life was like in America then. Maybe you need to get in and label your pictures. Uh, let's face it, uh, my generation and above, there were, there were picture albums and you labeled underneath who everybody was and everything. Now we keep them on our phones or we put them uh, you know, in the cloud someplace or, or on uh, Shutterfly or something and don't identify most of them. And 20 years from now, someone's going to have no clue who that was or what that event was for. Um, I encourage some of you maybe to sit down and record yourself telling stories from your childhood. Uh, or maybe sit your grandkids and kids down and videotape yourself telling them these stories so they can hear them and know. Maybe it's just sitting down and typing it out. Maybe do some memory posts on Facebook that kind of tell your story that your kids can uh, save. Uh, my kids last July, June, his Father's Day, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> last June um, gave me something called StoryWorth, a subscription to StoryWorth. And uh, what it is, is I have received a question, one, one question a week about my life. And, uh, and I respond to that question, uh, just it comes in an email. And I respond to it, and it immediately goes to my daughter, Anya, who's overseeing it, and to uh, StoryWorth, and, and after a year, a little bit plus, because I'm way behind, <laughs> uh, they will put a bound copy of this book telling the story of my life. Um, and yes, because of the last eight months, I'm four months behind, but I'm working at it. <laughs> But just uh, Friday night, I stayed up and worked on one about my first job. Um, there are ways you can record these things to pass on your family heritage if you just will. But memories also do something even more important, point C, and that is they help us know God better. Again, as we look at the opening verses of Psalm 145, going back to the beginning, says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And then our verse, one generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. 
Memories help us know God better. One of my favorite parenting passages in the entire Bible is Psalm 78, because there it, it just keeps hammering over and over and over again the importance of one generation teaching their children about God and their grandchildren about God right through the family heritage. Psalm 78 begins, O oh my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things things of, of, from of old. What we have known and heard, here it is, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Do you get the point? That's the only way it's going to happen in our families. And verse 7 then says, that here's the ultimate goal. Then they put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Is that happening in your family? One generation telling the next generation about God and about the importance of the Bible and Bible principles and Jesus Christ and grace and salvation. One generation to the next, to the next, to the next in your family. Is that happening? Joshua chapter 4 uh, tells the story, well actually 3 and 4. Uh, chapter 3 tells the story of the crossing of the Jordan River and uh, how God parted the water for them. And then they were told to put stones as a memorial. Here in verse 4 of chapter 4, it says, So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So years later, years after God parted the waters of the Jordan River for the nation of Israel and led them across, years and decades Later, Jewish parents could point to those stones and say to their children, let me tell you a story about what God did for the people of Israel. Let me ask you a question, parents, grandparents. What stones are you leaving behind for your family? What stones are you leaving behind for your family so that they can know God like you do? Two important memorials in the Bible, the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And both are ob vivid object lesson reminders of what God had done. When Jesus instituted the, the, last supper, the Lord's Supper uh, at his last supper with his disciples, uh, he did it at Passover. And Luke twenty two nineteen 19 says, He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What kind of stones are you leaving behind for your family? One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. So we need to pass on memories. But thirdly, we need to build memories. It's hard to pass them on if we haven't built them and lived them. 
So parents and grandparents, let me just say, as you already know, it takes effort. If we're going to pass on memories, it takes effort. Gloria Gaither and Shirley Dobson, probably 30, 40 years ago, wrote a workbook kind of a thing. Uh, there's a couple copies of it out here in the library called Let's Make a Memory. And it was basically a guide they intended for families to be able to use that would help families do things together and build memories together. And in the introduction, Gloria writes this. She goes, we believe that special moments don't just happen. They have to be planned on purpose. In this hectic world, and this was 40 years ago she's saying that, <laughs> in this hectic world when the pace at, at which uh, we all live is so frantic, we as families must make a covenant with each other to make time for simple things. Please hear me now. Special moments don't just happen. Beautiful memories of yesterday's were once moments of today's. We have no guarantees of tomorrow, but we do have this moment. She says the home is the natural habitat for growing human beings and shaping eternal souls. Whether we like it or not, we are molding lives now. Let's make these precious moments count. Let's make a memory. So I ask you, parents, grandparents, what family memories are you building? Those of you who have still, have, still have kids at home, what family members are you building? What family traditions have you begun? Let's build memories. But also it does something else. It makes lasting impressions. Parents, especially if you still have kids still at home, what will be your children's memories of you? Now, our kids have now gotten old enough that when they and I have found in the last three or four years that sometimes our perception of ourselves as parents is not exactly what the perception our kids have had. And it's the same with those, you know, us of our own parents, maybe. Might be di we might view some things they did uh, differently than they viewed it. But I ask you, what will your children's memories be of you? Will they remember a cruel, insensitive dictator? All rules but no love? Is that what they're going to remember about their parents? Will they remember a clingy, overprotective mother who wouldn't let go? Will they remember in you a person who made every effort to support their ball games, recitals, animal shows, and track meets? Or a parent that wasn't there? Will they remember you as a person who patiently tried to teach them how to do certain things in life? Will they remember you as somebody who simply stopped in at home and slept and that's the only time you were ever at home? Is that how your kids are going to remember you? Will they remember you as someone who was just always yelling? Will they remember you as someone who was a fun, practical joker? And parents, will they remember you as someone who loved God deeply? Is that how your kids are going to remember you? When they shared a post on Facebook from someone else recently, hear this, parents. View church attendance as optional, and your kids will view it as unnecessary. View church attendance as optional, and your kids will view it as unnecessary. I've seen that played out many, many times. Will your children remember laughing together as a family? Will they remember their parents always fighting? Will they remember always being dragged somewhere in the car because you're never at home, you're always going to some activity? Is that all they're going to remember? 
Will they remember staring at the TV and video games and that's their family memory? And most importantly, will they remember the family serving Christ together at church events and projects and gatherings? See, the memories you are building will remain in their minds and hearts for many, many years, and you're setting the course for their lives right now. Let's build positive memories. Let's build God-centered memories. Psalm 145 says, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. But finally, one other thing about memories. We need to respond to memories. Memories are kind of useless. We don't do anything with them. But there are four possible responses I'd like to suggest quickly today. First is, there are some memories to learn from. Some memories to learn from. 1 Corinthians 10 is a fascinating account. It's really negative. <laughs> it's negative because it retells about the Israelites in the desert and how often they turned against God. And it lists, and I'm going to start in verse 5, it's saying, learn from their mistakes. <laughs> Verse 5, it says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Notice right with idolatry and sexual immorality, it lists grumbling. And then in verse 11 it says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Warnings. Do you realize that by simply studying and taking seriously the Old Testament that we could prevent most family and personal and national problems today? just by heeding the warnings in the Old Testament. We can learn from the mistakes of the past. The Roman Empire was quite, quite impressive in its day. And I have been able to visit Roman ruins over the, Europe and the Middle East and a number of places. And I noticed two things when I saw Roman ruins. Number one, it was a vast empire. It was stretched all over three continents. And number two, the Roman Empire is gone. It is a dead empire. Folks, all those ruins, which you can still see today, provide a perfect example of what can happen to a well-developed society that does not have God at its center. And I don't have to tell you, if you're paying any attention, that the United States of America is going right down that road. We're shoving God further and further out of the way. We're glorifying evil. We're condemning people who condemn evil. And we are headed down that road if we do not turn things around. We need to learn from the memories of the past. There are some memories to learn from, but also, point B, there are some to release. Now, I thought about what word to use here. I thought about saying some to forget or some to bury or something like that. But I like the word release. You see, there are some negative memories that we need to learn from and deal with appropriately, maybe even through counseling, and then release them. See, I'm not talking about copying out or denial. I'm saying 
Let's not become obsessed with past events to the point that they control us and eventually destroy us. I've seen too many people let the past destroy them. There are some memories that we need to release to God and then move on. And that was one of Paul's points in Philippians 3, in verses 13 and 14, where he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul, in his case, had been a persecutor of Christians, and he never forgot that, but he used it to positively propel himself into the future to do something to undo all that garbage he had done earlier in his life. So there are some memories we need to deal with and release. But also point C, there are some to overcome. There are some to overcome. If you'll turn quickly to Ezekiel 18, I just want to read a little bit and show you something. Uh, some people, as you know, let their past destroy them or they spend their whole life blaming their own poor choices on bad things that happened to them in the past. This is a very American thing to do right now. <laughs> well, God dealt with that very directly in Ezekiel chapter 18, because there were people apparently in that culture who were saying, well, it's my dad's fault, it's my grandpa's fault. This happened to me when I was a little kid, and, I can't, and so that's why I'm doing these bad things. God says, stop it. Ezekiel 18, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. In other words, stop saying that, he says. Stop blaming it on other people. For every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son. Both alike belong to me. And then he says, the soul who sins is the one who will die. Not the neighbor that did something mean to you, not the other. You will deal with your own sins and account for your own sins. And then it gives some illustrations. Starting at verse 5, I'm not going to read it all, but it says, suppose there is a righteous man who does, not, does what is just and right, and describes this wonderful person. And then it says, verse 9, he follows my decrees and faithfully keeps my laws. The man is righteous. He will surely live, declares the Lord. But, verse 10, suppose he has a violent son who sheds blood or does any of these other things. In other words, he doesn't follow his father's example and verse um, 13, will such a man live? He will not, because he has done all these detestable things. He will surely be put to death, and his blood will be on his own head. He's responsible for his own actions. But then verse 14, but suppose this son has a son who sees all the sins his father commits, and though he sees them, he does not do such things. Do you get the pattern? What God's trying to say here is, you don't have to live like your dad. You can break the chain. You do not have to live like the stupid things your grandmother did. You can live differently. Choose to do differently. And all through the rest of the chapter, it keeps saying, but if a wicked man turns away, verse 21, verse 24, but if a righteous man turns from his righteousness. The point is, we each get to choose our path in life. It's not somebody else's fault. We choose our way. We choose our eternal destiny. It's up to us personally. So there are some memories we need to overcome and move on. And finally, this should be D on your outline, even though it says C, some to build on. Some to build on. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about 
building for God and building uh, for the, the kingdom, verse 5, says, What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul, only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task? I planted the seed, Paul says. Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's field, God's building. But by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So in other words, Paul's describing that Christ is the foundation, the apostles and others built on that foundation, and then other Christians down through the century have built onto that foundation, and now it's our turn. It's our turn to build, and we're to build on that foundation. I'm going to stick a picture up here real quick. This is the shelf I have in my office. I call it my heritage shelf, and I know you can't probably see it very well, but let me just describe what's there on this uh, bottom of the three shelves is uh, our images from my home church, the Hillsborough Church of Christ. Uh, there's a uh, picture of the room there where I was baptized and where I was ordained to the ministry, where I preached my first sermon and all that. Um, there is a brick from the oldest part of the Hillsborough Church where I went as a kid. There's some of the ministers who influenced my life that were all at Hillsborough, and there's a plate representing the church. Next up are images from Cincinnati Bible College and Seminary, Cincinnati Christian University. Uh, what was called Old Main, the classroom building where I had most of my Bible classes. That's a stone from that building, and it describes things that took place there. Above that is Haus Edelweiss uh, near Vienna, Austria, where I spent two of the most formative summers in my life, uh, images there uh, with that, that mission. And I keep those things there to always reflect on my spiritual heritage and to remember all those people in those three places that had such an impact on my life. And it reminds me that then... Now it's my turn to continue that process. It's my turn to be that person who guides other people uh, to go the right direction based on what I've learned. Psalm 145 says, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. So folks, this weekend is about memories. It's about passing on memories. It's about realizing that freedom is not free nationally, or socially. I love what Cadet Major Kelly Strong wrote, simply entitled, Freedom Isn't Free. She says, I watched the flag pass by one day. It fluttered in the breeze. A young maloon, Marine saluted it, and then he stood at ease. I looked at him in uniform, so young, so tall, so proud. With hair cut square and eyes alert, he'd stand out in any crowd. I thought how many men like him had fallen through the years. How many died on foreign soil? How many mothers' tears? How many pilots' planes shot down? How many died at sea? How many foxholes, soldiers' graves? No, freedom is not free. I heard the sound of taps one night when everything was still. I listened to the bugler play and felt a sudden chill. I wondered just how many times that taps had meant amen when a flag had draped a coffin of a brother or a friend. I thought of all the children, of the mothers and the wives, of fathers, sons, and husbands with interrupted lives. I thought about a graveyard at the bottom of the sea of unmarked graves in Arlington. No, freedom is not free. See, we come here each Sunday because we realize our spiritual freedom costs God a lot. And that's the point of the Lord's Supper. Jesus took our sin upon himself 
and died in our place voluntarily. It's the very reason he came. So let's always remember what he did and let that motivate us in our lives. Let's pass on that memory and let's allow that memory to shape us as we live for him. We're going to be singing our song of decision and I think it's going to be more one we may be listening to us and not one that all of us are as familiar with. But I want you to ponder this question at the bottom of your page, this statement. What we remember helps shape what we become. What we remember helps shape what we become. This morning during our decision time, I want us to really look inside ourselves. And, and uh, I know this song, I sing along with it in my car sometimes, never once. Just listen to these words. If you know it, you can sing along. Otherwise, just sit and think and stand and think whatever um, about where you are right now with God. Think of all the memories he's built into your life. Think about the future, what he wants you to be, what he wants you to learn from those memories, what he wants you to do from those memories. And let's respond with our hearts and our lives completely submissively because we know what God has done for us. We know the freedom he has made possible for us. And maybe you even need to come up and accept him for the very first time. Confessing your faith in Jesus, repenting of your sins, submitting to the burial and baptism to say that life's gone and it's now, it belongs to God completely. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's Word and follow His Son, Jesus Christ.